Welcome to Questions That Matter, a podcast of the C.S. Lewis Institute, where we explore discipleship of the heart and mind. I'm your host, Randy Newman, and today my conversation partner is Joe Combe, one of my fellow colleagues here at the C.S. Lewis Institute. Joe's the Vice President for Development and our City Director in Virginia Beach, and he's written a new book about C.S. Lewis's friendship with Arthur Greaves, and that's going to be the topic of our conversation today about friendship and how it forms us and how it shapes us. Joe, welcome to Questions That Matter. Thank you for having me, Randy. I'm honored. Well, um, Joe, uh, the, the title of your book is The Unknown Garden of Another's Heart, and the subtitle is The Surprising Friendship Between C.S. Lewis and Arthur Greaves. Um, well, let me first start with wh- why is it a surprising friendship? Why did you choose that word? Well, because there are they are two dissimilar people. You have C.S. Lewis, the great apologist, uh, Oxford Don, professor at Cambridge, well-known, cover of Time magazine. And then you have Arthur Greaves, who um, really lived a very quiet life. Uh, he was diagnosed with a heart condition when he was a young man, and he was basically a, a trust fund child and a trust fund person, and he never really accomplished anything by worldly standards. Hmm. So C.S. Lewis was friends with, we all know the Inklings and all the amazing people C.S. Lewis interacted with and was friends with, and yet my thesis is that Arthur was his very best friend, Hmm. and so they're just two two very dissimilar people. That's why it's a surprising friendship. And they had this lifelong friendship, right? For over 50 years, is that right? And, and hundreds of letters back and forth. Yep. We have, we have 296 letters um, from Lewis to Arthur. Mm. And we just got a couple really um, from Arthur to C.S. Lewis. So where, where the letters from Arthur to, to C.S. Lewis are, that's a story in itself. But mm. these 296 letters span uh, approximately 50 years of a friendship. Amazing. Amazing. Yes. What a what a gift. And I know that all of the letters have been collected together in a book called They Stand Together. Um, you've read all of them and, and uh, distilled and told us some things that we need to uh, really grasp about their friendship. Where, where's the title come from? The Unknown Garden of Another's Heart. That is from a line from a poem that Lewis wrote for Arthur when they were um, uh, young men. And as you know, C.S. Lewis started out wanting to be a poet, and mm-hmm. his first published work was a book of poetry. And, he, and Lewis, of course, wrote poetry throughout the course of his life. But he, he wrote a poem for Arthur and that uh, to their friendship, and that's a line from the poem um, that he wrote for his friend Arthur. Now you have a you have a quote at the beginning of the book that includes that line. Is is the quote the whole poem that you have there? At the no, beginning? I have it. Fr- I have it in front of me. It's short. I can read it for you if you'd I'd like. I'd love it. I'd love yes. it. I think our reader, uh, readers, our listeners would appreciate that. It's 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 short. To the memory of Arthur Greaves, that we may mark with wonder and chase dread, at hour of noon when with our limbs outspread. Lazily in the whispering grass we lie to gaze out fully upon the windy sky, far, far away and kindly, friend with friend, to talk the old, 
old talk that has no end, roaming without a name, without a chart, the unknown garden of another's heart. Mm-hmm. So what a nice picture of friendship, you know, that, that you're so familiar with the other person that you can roam their heart uh, freely. You know their heart so well and, and each the other roaming each other's heart. So it's a beautiful picture of friendship. So what, what was it about their friendship that either that, that drew you to this study on your own um, or uh, I'll give you a choice of questions. Uh, what was it that drew you to that friendship or what did, what did you grow to appreciate about friendship in general by exploring their unique friendship? Oh, okay. Those two, two good questions. Well, first how it started, what drew me to the friendship, um, you know, like you, Randy, I've spent a lifetime reading trying to read everything that Lewis has written. And in doing so, of course, he, his letters are collected together by Walter Hooper, uh, thousands of letters, three volumes. And going through, reading through those three volumes, one name kept popping up. Mm-hmm. And that name was Arthur Greaves. And I thought, wow, who is this Arthur that Lewis is continually writing to? And um, the more I learned about... <clears throat> Their friendship, the more interesting it became. Again, how I started off, you have two very dissimilar people. Lewis, the famous uh, author of Chronicles of Narnia and and The Apologist, and um, who Arthur Greaves, you know, who who really lived a very quiet life. And so it's it's an amazing story of friendship. Um, when they first met, Lewis was 15, Arthur was 18, and, and Arthur was home. He was sick in bed, and he lived uh, just a street over from Lewis. And Arthur's family called Lewis's home and said, Arthur would love a visit. Mm-hmm. And so, as you know, uh, C.S. Lewis and his brother Warney grew up together. They were, you know, very good friends, and they didn't want any interlopers into their friendship. Mm-hmm. They had resisted Arthur this whole time. Well, Warney was away at school. So C.S. Lewis said, well, what do I have to lose? I'll go over. And he walked in Arthur's bedroom and Arthur was reading a book called Myths of the Norsemen. And C.S. Lewis looked at Arthur and said, do you like that? And Arthur looked back at him and said, do you like that? And of course, that was the the spark that fanned into a flame, the the friendship of 50 years. Mm -hmm. So they started writing to each other and initially their friendship was about books and, and music and and things that most young teenagers and young men are interested in. And and, um, so the, you know, just reading about this friendship um, over 50 years, you know, you see the trajectory of their faiths. Arthur started out as a, a very sincere Christian and then in, over the course of his life, he drifted away from Christianity. And then you have Lewis, of course, who was a scoffer of Christianity as a young man uh, after his mother died. And we all know the story of Lewis's uh, conversion to Christianity. So their trajectories kind of cross. Mm-hmm. And there's another reason. Why would they be friends? Lewis, obviously, his faith grew and Arthur walked away from the faith. So it's a fascinating friendship. Um, and so then you're asking me what it says about friendship in our current age. 
And, you know, sadly, we are more connected than ever before through technology, right? We have so many ways to be in contact with these people, with people. We can text each other. We're on Facebook. We have, quote, friends on Facebook. Um, we're more connected than ever. But in reality, we're more lonely than ever. The studies yeah. show people yeah. are more lonely than ever. Yeah. And the antidote to loneliness is friendship. Mm-hmm. You know, it's true, sincere, deep friendships. And, and most people just don't have those friendships. And so what makes C.S. Lewis's friendship with Arthur so special is no one knew C.S. Lewis like Arthur Greaves. And no one knew Arthur Greaves like C.S. Lewis. There was an mm-hmm. unveiling between the two. Mm. Arthur was the repository of all Lewis's secrets, who he was, what he struggled with, and vice versa. C.S. Lewis was a repository for Arthur. So there was this unveiling between the two that went on. And that's why their friendship, even though they were dissimilar in certain areas, that's why their friendship remained so strong over the years. You know, um, uh, Lewis has this famous quote, I'm pretty sure, I'm sure it's in his book, The Four Loves, about friendship, where he says, um, friendship begins when you meet someone, I'm, I'm butchering the quote, I'm very sorry, but it's um, where where you find someone and you say, you too? I thought I was the only one. Yes. And I, it sure seems to me that Lewis had that memory of walking into Arthur Greaves' room, seeing him reading about mythology and say, you too? You like that too? I thought I was the only one. Exactly. Um, so that's a big part of it. Uh, so you find the commonality, but, but it's also th- their friendship and those letters. It's a study of staying friends and holding on to friends and continuing to express concern and compassion, even as paths drift apart. Yes. Um, say some more about, oh, go ahead. Yes. Certainly there's undulation, of course, throughout the years of, uh, of their letters. You know, there's periods of time when they're really writing to each other and there's periods of times when they're not. Mm-hmm. And so like all friendships go through ups and downs. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Lewis has another quote from the four loves. It says, Eros will have naked bodies, friendship, naked personalities hmm. and really that's hmm. what you see here between arthur and and c.s lewis that unveiling the naked personalities you know everything about me warts and all mm-hmm. and you're still my friend and i know everything about you and and that's kind of one of the things that unites us together is we know each other so well and we still care about each other even through the good and the bad yeah well, let's explore this a little bit about why friendship is so important. You've already touched on that. Uh, we, we live in a time of great technological connectedness and yet alienation and loneliness. Um, and there's all sorts of stuff being written about how friendship is so crucial for mental health, for happiness. Yes. But but how is it how is it also important for spiritual growth, for our discipleship? Yes, well, uh, discipleship's what we do at the C.S. Lewis Institute. And one of the things I think we can all agree on is that discipleship cannot be done alone. It has to be done in community. And that's part of what makes a very good friend is someone that's going to help you grow in their faith. Mm. And someone, when they see certain behaviors or activities that you might be 
exhibiting that they can come to you as a friend and say, hey, hey, Joe, I saw this and it's not very becoming to you. Or, Mm -hmm. hey, Joe, I just want to let you know I'm praying for you in this difficult time if I'm struggling with something. Hmm. And So all those things combined help us to grow in our faith. And those were elements that C.S. Lewis really tried to 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 do with Arthur. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, Arthur drifted away from his faith, and C.S. Lewis was always trying to pull him back. Yeah, him back. they had right. they had differences theologically, and Lewis was very patient in answering Arthur's questions, and hmm. he was letting Arthur know, "I pray for you." And that's what we need today in our friends to help us with discipleship. People that come along beside of us, love us, and help us grow in our faith. You know, I, uh, I, I subscribe to a number of different newsletters, and I read about what God is doing around the world, and frequently, repeatedly, I see and hear pleas for the need for discipleship all around the world. That is the crying need of our time, and that is the specific focus that God has placed on the C.S. Lewis Institute. So we're, we're so very grateful to be involved and have been for decades in something that could very well be the greatest need of our world today. So please consider uh, becoming a financial partner with us. It would be at the very core and central uh, centrality of what God is doing in our world today. You know, um, as you're saying this, I'm 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 realizing. I mean, L- Lewis said that all of his writings, in some way, were evangelistic. Um, and and I'm thinking, well, you know, these letters to Arthur Greaves, they they're they're a picture of what it means to keep reaching out and keep connecting with non-believers, even if they're unresponsive or even if they are going in different directions. So not only do we learn about evangelism by reading Lewis's Mere Christianity, um, but, but looking at those, those conversations. Um, were, were there any surprises for you as, you're, as you dug into these letters and explored them? I think um, for me, this is both encouraging and a surprise, is just that C.S. Lewis's humanity, he struggled with the same, same things that we all struggle with. Hmm. Um, you know, most people think of C.S. Lewis. Hey, he's the he's the author of the Chronicles of Narnia. He's mere Christianity. Um, he's this great Christian thinker, apologist, um, and th- all those things are true. But there were times in his life when he s- struggled with very real issues that all of us struggle with. You know, you see his humanity, and Arthur Hooper says in the introduction to the the they stand together. He said, anyone that wants to know the real C.S. Lewis has to read these letters to find him. Hmm. And, you know, you see Lewis struggling with uh, pride, uh, lust, temptation, all the same things that we struggle with. And you see him overcoming them. And so it's encouraging to have an example like that of, you know, C.S. Lewis even struggled with things and, and look what he did. So it's kind of, that was the surprising thing is to, to maybe examine some of Lewis's warts, mm-hmm. the warts that we all have, and to see how he dealt with them and to see also that Arthur was the uh, gatekeeper of all these secrets. 
yeah. and how they're, how, you know, how that's part of their friendship. Um, yeah. You need someone that knows everything about you. Um, so that, that might've been a surprising thing for me. Yeah. Well, you know, when I, when I read your book and then dug into some of the letters, I haven't read all of them in that collection of they stand together, but um uh, yes, you're certainly right about Lewis's struggles, but there's also a whole period of time before he became a Christian when he wasn't struggling. He he embraced sinfulness and sinful lifestyles and and uh, arrogance and pride. It was later when he became a Christian he looked back at them and went, "Oh my goodness, what look at what God has rescued me out of." Right. Um, right. So that that's a side of C.S. Lewis I think a lot of people don't want to know about, but. Um, you, you can appreciate the gospel so much more, though, when you see um, what, what it means to be saved out of uh, those kinds of traps and sins. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the other thing is you can really track the trajectory of Lewis's conversion in these letters. And yeah. I have a chapter called The Dry Tree. It's three letters, three letters that he wrote to Arthur as he was recovering from his wounds. Um, from World War One, he's o- he's over in the hosp- hospital and field hospital in France, and he's just seen the worst that combat has to offer. And he starts writing uh, a letter to Arthur about beauty, the concept of beauty. Mm. Here he's just seen the ugliness of humanity, and now he's writing to Arthur about beauty. And Lewis is wondering wh- where does that come from? Where does huh. beauty come from? Huh. And Lewis, the strict materialist, now has something outside his worldview. Um, kind of knocking on the door of beauty. Where do I get that? It's it's uh-huh. spiritual, and so you know this over a course of three letters, you see Lewis um, explicate this out. And so you, as uh, the master for me, evangelist, mm-hmm. um, you've seen this type of uh, conversion before, and so interesting to watch Lewis go through it. Yeah. And then finally, you know, years later, after Addison's walk, you know, that famous night in Oxford where he and Tolkien, uh, you know, walk along Addison's walk, he writes Arthur another series of three letters outlining his conversion, you know, how, how, how he came to know that, you know, Jesus was his Savior, Jesus is Lord. And so um, you see Lewis in both these places, you see the trajectory of his conversion. It's just fascinating. It, it, really, he, he explains it uh, there like he does nowhere else in all his other writings. Isn't that something? Yes, be, because it's so, uh, it's so unguarded in the personal letter. Um, I mean, when he, when he tells the story in Surprised by Joy, his book about his his early life and his coming to faith. Well, that's a polished writer looking back at it years later mm-hmm. at the conversion. But in those letters, we're getting it, you know, in time, real time, uh, uh, real time. Yes. And, and uh, isn't it in a letter to Greaves where he says, uh, um, I've just crossed over from uh, uh, atheism to theism. The long yeah. conversation with Tolkien and Dyson had much to do about it. Yep. Wasn't that in one of those letters? That's the series of three letters that he yeah. writes to Arthur. Okay. And the third one is the culmination saying, when I got in the sidecar to the zoo, I didn't believe Jesus was God. And when I got to the zoo, I did believe. So that, <laughs> that's that has the to culmination be. of those those three letters. One, um, one of the most anticlimactic and entertaining statements of a conversion ever. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, 
Well, um, there is another aspect about this friendship that we need to explore, not to make this a major uh, uh, topic, um, but uh, uh, Arthur Greaves was a homosexual man, and there are some letters early on um, when Arthur uh, comes out or expresses this to Lewis. And at first, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, Lewis has some sort of affirming things that I think some people want to say, aha, today we want to say, ah, see, C.S. Lewis is an affirming person of uh, gay, lesbian, etc. But But that's not the full picture, is it? It's not. And Arthur does come out to Lewis um, sometime in the 20s. I can't remember exactly what year it, it is. And Lewis says, congratulations, you know, he says, congratulations on, on mm-hmm. coming, you know, coming to this conclusion. And um, uh, but at that time, Lewis was not a follower of Christ. Yeah. Lewis was was uh, a worldly person. And, you know, it's dangerous for Arthur also to come out to Lewis like that, because at that time, homosexuality was still uh, a criminal activity mm-hmm. in the UK. And so he, he is entrusting Lewis with this secret um, that could essentially, you know, land him in jail. Um, but later on in his life, um, we see Lewis communicating with Sheldon Van Auken. If you know Sheldon Van Auken, Severe Mercy, and he was teaching at Lynchburg College here in Virginia at the time. And he wrote to C.S. Lewis about the issue of homosexuality. And so you see Lewis's um, uh, worldview in terms of human sexuality explained very well in his responses to Sheldon Van Auken. And he says he does say that homosexuality is a sin and but you know, everyone struggles with their own sins. Um, unfortunately, sometimes the church has elevated that sin as a super sin about other sins. But Lewis says it's just part of, you know, it, it's a sin that as long as it's not acted out on um, and that it's no different also for, for unmarried um, heterosexual people we're all under the same standard. You know, sexuality is reserved for marriage between one man and one woman. So Lewis, you, you, those that are using his early statements to Arthur as affirming are not telling the whole story. Because after Lewis's conversion to Christianity, he has a very orthodox biblical view of sexuality. And that can be found in his letters to Sheldon Van Auken. Yeah, great. Yeah. Great. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I don't, I don't think Lewis ever said it this way, but for some reason I feel from, from reading other things that Lewis says about our Christian beliefs that I, I'm struck with um, the, the Christian view about Christian views, plural, about sexuality are so out of step with the culture around us. They always have yes. been. Uh, the Christian view of morality and sexuality has always been the minority opinion. It's always been considered ridiculous. Uh, it's it's always been on the wrong side of history, if I can use that phrase. Um, John the Baptist had his head chopped off for speaking out about adultery. So um, we shouldn't be surprised that the biblical view about sexuality is so restrictive, if I can use that word, of everybody, re- regardless of what kind of desires they have. Well, uh, we've said that we, we, we live in this world that's hyper-connected technologically, but not very connected really. And uh, so how do we do that? How, how can we 
develop the kinds of friendships that really forge the kind of bonds that Lewis and Arthur Greaves had that can be evangelistic friendships and also great Christian friendships that help us grow? How? What are some some practical steps we can take about uh, friendship? Well, friendship takes work. Um, it, it takes effort. You have to take affirmative steps to to be a friend. So if you want a friend, you have to, my mom used to say, if you want friends, you have to be a friend. Mm-hmm. So that's really a good, uh, good advice for us today. You know, we have to, we have to make an effort to befriend people around us and not just people who think like us, but people who are not like us, maybe people who, um, you're talking about evangelistic friendships, maybe people who don't believe the way we do, the people don't think the way we do, people that don't vote the way we do. Those are the evangelistic friendships. Those are our neighbors and people that we work with. And that, you know, that means taking affirmative steps to be a good friend to them. And then the deep, you mentioned the deeper friendships, and that comes with just being authentic. You know, when I look at Facebook, people's Facebook posts, it's so inauthentic, right? They're, they're trying to present this image of this is my best life. I'm living it now. I, I don't have any problems. When in reality, a true friendship like the one C.S. Lewis and Arthur Greaves had is you, you know my struggles. You know what I'm struggling with. And I know what you're struggling with. And I'm praying for you. And I'm here for you. And I'm giving you godly Christian advice if you ask for it. And so the, the deep friendships are the ones where we are vulnerable with each other. And that's hard for a lot of people because when you're vulnerable, it means that you're giving off the appearance of weak, some sort of weakness. Hmm. And in our culture today, nobody wants to appear weak. They want to appear that they have it all together. When in reality, none of us have it all together. We're all struggling with something. Are you a fisher of men? Uh, do you want to be a fisher of men? Do you do you struggle with this call that Jesus places on us to be fishers of men? Uh, discipling others is also a significant part of that whole enterprise, and it's a way to abide in Christ. It's a way for us to know Christ more fully, become more like Him, and participate in His work of building His kingdom. So as we disciple, we become co-workers with Jesus. As he helps us mature, he allows us to help him mature others and nurture them towards reproduction and expanding of his kingdom. And so we have many free small group resources on our website, uh, many different things to help you in this discipleship process, both to grow as a disciple and to disciple others. So please check out cslewisinstitute.org slash products. Um, and you know, as, as you're talking, I'm thinking also a really crucial part is really, really good um, non-distracted conversation. Mm. Uh, Lewis really loved conversation. Um, he loved private one-on-one conversation alone in his study. He loved conversation with fellow uh, academics, a, either at the pub or other places. Um, I, I'm sure Lewis would be horrified about cell phones, and he would have banished <laughs> them from 
anywhere within a hundred miles of him. But um, we don't we we can't really do that. But we can turn our phones off, or we can have times when we say, you know what, this is going to be a conversation without phones. Uh, I think on this podcast I've mentioned it quite a few times. Uh, there's a great book called Reclaiming Conversation by Sherry Turkle. Did research and that. She found that even having the phone out on the table stifled conversation. And so mm-hmm. people would do well of saying, we're going to have a phone-free conversation. We're going to keep the phones in our pocket or in our purse and, uh, and, and just really listen carefully and choose to focus on the other person. And we can reclaim conversation, but it does take work, like you say, and it does take listening and caring. Um, uh, I also, I, maybe this isn't related, but this is just one of the places where I resonate well with Lewis. Lewis hated noise. He hated it. There's this one place in, in the screw tape letters where he just goes crazy about noise and uh, uh, the devil is making the world more noisy all the time. But it's said that Lewis wrote all of his books out uh, by hand rather than typing because he hated the sound of the typewriter and it made it difficult for him to concentrate on his thought with all that noise of the clanking keys. Now, that's a typewriter, not computers that we have today. But I I do think focused conversation without distraction may be one of the most important tools in developing friendship. No doubt. And, you know, Lewis, uh, he he loved taking walks with people, with Mm -hmm. his friends. You know, they they would go on, you know, overnight walks. They'd, They'd walk to the next town over stay overnight at the pub and walk back the next day. And that's yeah. like you said, it eliminated distractions. We're just out walking in the woods and, and chatting. Or, or like you said, Lewis loved to be around the fire with his friends with a pint, just chatting. And of course that's what the Inklings groups were made up of, right? They were just, they would just sit around and read to each other things that they were working on themselves. And uh, Lewis, there's one quote that I think sums it up where Lewis says, friendship is the greatest of worldly goods. Certainly to me, it is the chief happiness of life. (laughs) As Lewis, he, he just, you know, most people, some people collect baseball cards. Some people collect stamps. Lewis collected friends (laughs) because friends made him happy. Yeah. And and we should we should explore that too. In that they certainly were not like him. I mean, they there were some really strong disagreements about things. I mean, he had he had a strong friendship with Tolkien, but boy, they disagreed about some things. And he was certainly mm-hmm. in a a very different theological place uh, from Charles Williams. Uh, yes. By the way, the bit about taking long walks together, I I, I want to mm-hmm. think about that a little bit because there yeah. is again, there's a place where Lewis talks about how how um, in in a love relationship, in a marriage, people are facing each other. But in a friendship, they're both facing out in the same direction. So it's Mm -hmm. not so much we're looking at each other and admiring each other. We're both looking at the path we're walking on or a, a book that we're reading or something that we're looking out and I will also add, I, I think there's something about walking side by side that enables a kind of honesty because it's less intimidating than facing each other face to face. I got to be careful. I, I, I don't want to read too much into Lewis on that. But I, I know from my experience, I, I've had some really great, more in-depth conversation when I'm in a car 
uh, sitting next to someone and we're both facing out the windshield rather than facing each other. And mm. I think there's a kind of level of honesty. And like you said before, vulnerability or uh, authenticity that can happen when we're facing the same direction. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And I think you see that in Lewis's writings as well, that walking side by side. There's a quote uh, from Surprised by Joy, and it comes from his time in school. You know, when he first went to school, um, he had Robert Capron. The first school he went to was the very abusive Mm, uh, schoolmaster there that would hit the boys and, and beat the boys. And Lewis, he said something, he wrote this, he said, we stood four square against the common enemy. I suspect this pattern has unduly biased my whole outlook. To this day, the vision of the world which comes most naturally to me is one in which we too, or we few, stand together against something stronger and larger. Mm. And I think that's what you're referring to, yeah. Randy, is two yeah. people, and when you're walking side by side together, you're, you're looking out into the world and... Um, you're standing against something stronger and larger. Mm. And that's what we need today. That's what you get with our friends, you know, is, is um, hey, the world is a tough place and yeah. it will, it will, it will humble you and beat you down. And you have to have someone that will stand next to you and uh, help you through difficult times. Yes. Well said, yeah. well said. Well, um, uh, we're going to wrap this up, but uh, but if there's any other things you want to say about uh, this friendship that you grew to really love and appreciate, now's the time. I I found your book to be so encouraging to me. Again, I I learned a whole lot about Lewis, and I learned about Arthur Grieve Greaves, but I but I learned about the nature of friendship, and I found myself more hungering for and and committed to developing these friendships. So. Any last thoughts you want to leave us with? Uh, here, here's the last thought I would leave, and I think you would concur with this. Keep reading, Lewis. Um, everyone, keep reading, Lewis, because he's still instructing us today, all yeah. these years yeah. after his death. Um, I, I, he's been my mentor and my teacher these many years, and um, that's why we have the C.S. Lewis Institute today. We we. We, in, in his in his image and his reflection of Lewis, we're, we're trying to do what he did. And so keep reading Lewis is what I would tell everyone listening today. That's great. That's really yeah. great. Well, Joe. And I'm glad you are my friend, Randy. Let yeah. me say this. I, I, I have I, friends and I count you as one of them. And oh. I'm grateful that you are my friend. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. I wish we lived closer together. We need to figure out a way to take some long walks together. So, yeah, I would, um, I would love that. Yes. <laughs> Well, uh, thanks so much for, for your time, Joe. And thanks to our listeners for listening in on this conversation. Uh, like all of our resources here at the C.S. Lewis Institute, uh, we hope this helps you love the Lord more deeply, more lovingly, um, more gratefully, and that all of our resources help you grow in both heart and mind discipleship. Thanks. Thanks.